Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to episode one of Rugby World Cup Weekly. Each week I'll be joined by guests from the rugby world to take a look back on that weekend's action. Join me tonight are English, Scottish and Welsh fans. Firstly, we're joined by two returnees, one of which following on from a crowd-pleasing preview of Scotland. It's our Pool B compatriot, Craig Manson. Welcome back, Craig. Good evening. Thanks for having me back. Always good to have you on. And he is joined by Welsh writer who made his debut. All the way back in March, Yeston Thomas. Pleasure to have you on, Yeston. Yeah, thanks for having me. Do we do we get caps for like appearances or like like an international rugby or is it? Oh, uh, maybe for like one fifty and a hundred. I think that. Well, that's that fine. Forty eight to go. Yeah. I'm just happy a, a couple of appearances and they get a tie. Twenty oh. <laughs> <laughs> for the tie, yeah. then. Yeah, <laughs> but then again, that's there's, there's a cost of living crisis that affects everyone. <laughs> but, anyways, later on, I'll be joined by Ben Nurse as well, who will look back specifically on England's win over Argentina and Australia's convincing victory over Georgia. But before we begin, I just want to remind everyone at home that's listening, we are not covering Ireland's win over Romania in this game, not because of the blowout nature, but because we have recorded a prior podcast which went out on Saturday afternoons. So that is the you click into the podcast feed, that will be the most recent one from this channel before this one. But we are going to start with our game of the week, which is Wales's last gasp victory over Fiji in what was an instant classic. Gatlin's men ran out 32-26 victors in Bordeaux, thanks to choice from Josh Adams, Lewis Rees-Samet, George North and Elliot D. And a player of the match performance from one and only Dan Bigger. It was a game not short of controversy. It was filled with drama. But all in all, Yeston, it was an ideal start for Wales. Yeah, without a doubt. If someone had told me Wales would have had a bonus point win against Fiji to kick off the World Cup, I would have taken it no matter what. And like you say, it was a fantastic game of rugby. As we mentioned, it is game of the week. And, and rightly so, it was brilliant. You know, 
from Wales is blistering stark and getting a penalty and an early try from, from Josh Adams and Fiji hitting back with two tries of their own, which were the second one was absolutely superb. Then obviously Wales took the lead at half time thanks to a, a George North try, which had a little defensive error by the Fijian centres before Wales really flexing their wings a little bit, getting a third try thanks to Louis Rees-Samet, which came from a fantastic Jack Morgan crossfield kick. And then Fiji got a little bit close to the Welsh try line. There's been a lot of debate about that, but I'm not going to talk about it. Then bigger hit the 50-22, which Wales took that chance. The red zone efficiency from the Welsh was superb. LED rolled in from a, from a rolling mall. Then it all got a little bit tense as Fiji scored twice in the last 10 minutes. And they blew a fantastic opportunity to win it to the death. Well, it's you hate to be too critical, but there is the element of, well, if that pass goes infield to, I believe it was to Isova, as opposed to the skip pass to Randrandra, they're probably under the post. And we're probably talking about another Fijian scalp over Wales in a World Cup in France, coincidentally. It was... Yeah. Go on, yes? Yeah, it was... Um, I think it was nice to level that was on the... Um... The, the the outside, I think it was Taylor, the fly off who, who gave the pass out. And um the Wales defence had Liam Williams covering around the backfield. They had isolated North and Tompkins. So it was just Zamet. Well, North was opposite um Teddy Taylor. And then you had Zamet and Liam Williams coming around. And I I'm not sure Liam Williams would have come in on the inside hit nice level. So if the Fijian outside half made the shot to pass to, to nice level, he'd have gone straight through the middle and he'd have probably beaten Liam Williams and that was a try, which would have given them a much easier kick. Uh, but unfortunately, they tried the looping pass and of all people, Semi Rondrandra dropped the ball, which was a killer blow for them. And you mentioned their centre pairing. They were absolutely phenomenal, Rondrandra and nice level, the latter of which has been in incredible form. He was brilliant against England as well. And Fiji now are in a situation where they kind of have to beat Australia, which is unfortunate because, yes, they had to be one of them anyway, but the fact that it may boil down to a round two game, especially after how we've seen the World Cup went last time as well, where it just simmered out and it was gone in no stage. And I suppose, Craig, we, we have the neutral eye on this one. You know, most neutrals are rooting for Fiji. We're not gonna We're not going to pretend like an awful lot of us weren't. It was a cracking game, but for Wales to get the job done, that's that's huge for them, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and I, I think what we've seen, and and not to to go too fast forward into the end of this podcast, but you know what we've seen over the weekend is all of the sort of the the teams that everyone's kind of going, oh well, there's a chance they could be turned over, or there's a chance they can be turned over by this team, or they've all asserted their dominance a little bit, um, you know, so. I think Wales. I was. It's not that I wasn't in doubt. I thought. I thought Fiji were either going to absolutely break Wales, or Wales were going to beat them. And and it looked like at the beginning, oh, Fiji are really on it. But they just, as Wales do, and 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 Wales play rugby, and they can adapt, and they can kick, and they can. Not. I'm being unfair by saying grind a team down, but they. They know how to play against different types of teams, and when we come on to Scotland, you can, I'll probably ch- say that. You know, well, I'm going to say that Scotland don't seem to, and neither the neither and, and England haven't had a had that opportunity before either. They seem to struggle to deal with different game plans, but Wales seem to have just ground that ground the the, the win out, and 
And then when the tries started to come, the, the dam almost broke, you know. Absolutely. And there's, you know, uh, the the bigger picture side of things as well. You know, Yeston, when you were on with us previously after Six Nations, it was all doom and gloom about Wales. It was questioning, you know, like could Italy have really beaten them if Italy had a bit more courage at the time? And, you know, they'd lost to England. They didn't fire a shot in that game after a hectic week. And it felt like, okay, there was green shoots, but there was also an awful lot of red flags. Now it actually feels like it's completely flipped on its head. And, you know, I we don't want to just beat them up after one game because we know an awful lot can happen. You know, they've Australia and Georgia to come. They've lost to those two teams very recently. So it, it's it has been a great turnaround from Gatlin to his credit to go from a poor Six Nations to now looking at it, yes, helped by the draw and thinking, you know, they could take third or fourth place in this World Cup. Yeah, and I don't think the summer series was that particularly impressive. I know they beat England in, in Cardiff, which was a, a good performance and a good win, but the the, the away game in Twickenham was particularly worrying at the time when Wales' line-out went to pieces. Obviously, we now know that was a different line-out um, tactic that they were trying to use. And obviously, when South Africa came to town, it was a bit of a bloodbath at times. But they, they did sort that out somehow. And they, they went back to basics, you know. just If you look at the opening 10 minutes, they, Adam Beard is a, lifted up for the first kickoff, and they'd form them all, which gets them a couple of metres. Vogaf David just sends him in the air. A brilliant chase by the by Josh Adams and the, the rest of the Welsh defence. Um, and then all of a sudden, Will Rowlands is over a jackal, and that's a penalty, which bigger kicks three points. So it's just basics like that that we didn't really see. And we saw a couple of times in the way PVAC, but PVAC was too stubborn and always wanted a, an open and expansive style of rugby. Uh, but this is this is Gatlin. This is how Gatlin wants to play rugby. This is what people call as Warren Ball, uh, uh, even though Gatlin hates the term. But but it but it is what it is. And even though there was at times where Wales did sway away from that, and sometimes there was a little bit of frustration uh, from supporters and, and probably Gatlin himself. Um, they they managed to just to, to dig in and and get that result, which they really did need. And an awful lot of the time, Gatlin's results have been in spite of something, be it the WRU or fan opinion or regional form. And this has the hallmarks of a World Cup that could be the exact same thing. He might just do it in spite of a really bad year for the regions and in the WRU in general. But that's what he does. That is what he does. And. I suppose in any other week, because we'll move on now, like France against New Zealand would have been the best in class. It was an unbelievable opener. The opening ceremony was brought mixed opinions. Some people were just happy it was short and sweet. But like it was it was a slow start of a game for everyone not named Mark Talea. Gregory Audrey inspired France to that 27-13 win. I gave myself this one in the running order as early as last Friday when I was getting the provisional notes out of the way because this was spectacular. You know, there's no no other way about it. I think France showed that they can do different things. And one of the things I noted was they've almost come back slightly to the... Conservatism is a strong word, but almost conservatism that won them a Grand Slam. They're going to kick for three more. They're going to put you under pressure. They're going to squeeze the life out of you. And it'd be interesting to see with France because you look at, say, Ireland, South Africa... They're wanting to score tries more than before. They're not going for three as, as easily. 
So will it pay off when they play someone like that in the quarterfinal? More than likely be one of those two in, in the quarterfinal in Saint-Denis. It's really interesting. But the other side of it is, how good are New Zealand? You know, it it a lot of people are saying, you know, favourites, second favourites. It's it's really hard to say that they're even inside the top three after that performance. They they got by for the first 40, but that was really it. And like, as an Irish person, you know, or even South African, are probably thinking the same way. They're probably the dream matchup in that quarterfinal as opposed to France. Even if France are without Marchand, like, because they've got guys like Mavaka. And if they're they're without Entomac, well, Jalibert stepped up and so on, so forth. They're getting Jalange back. They might get um, Sarah Bai back by the end of the pool stages. They have the depth, they have the quality, and they are the team to be afraid of. And I suppose, Craig, over another weekend, we could be asking you about a potential World Cup quarterfinal against France. It could still happen. We'll see how the pool stage unfolds. But France do look to be a class ahead at the moment, don't they? Um, yes and no. Um, I think uh, where their class is, is the just as you say, that they're, they're controlling a game, they're suffocating almost in defence, but they're incredibly good at turning around and um, going from a defence to attack very, very quickly. Um, one person that, that you didn't mention who, who I have a particular soft spot is for is uh, Damien Pinot. Um, I think Damien Pinot is just someone who runs like he's just sauntering down the street, um, but some of the skill that he can produce is unbelievable. Some of the the catches and 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 tries he scores, you know, especially if there's a ball coming over, being kicked over to the um uh, to the try line, he can take it in the air and land, and just little things that that he does. Are, I just think are fantastic. But on the other side of things, and and uh, to maybe be a typical Scotsman with who's full of himself, etc. But Scotland are France's kryptonite. I think um, you know we we do we can unlock them at times. Um, okay, fair enough. They've had enough class and enough, or we've let ourselves down in the first halves of games so that we have to kind of fight back at them. Um, but um, if we could get rid of that, we could probably beat them, and we have beaten them. So you know if. It, I think if we had a if we had New Zealand who just don't look themselves at the moment, um, I think the new, the whole All Blacks never beaten them at all in our in our lifetime um, kind of vo- um, voodoo would 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 probably deal maybe a a weak minded Scotland in that side of things, but um, give us France, we could probably try our best to take them apart. And they're not perfect. There's there's that too, and. The other side of the injury coin is they might be just one more injury away from it unraveling. You know, it's 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 it can happen. You know, that's like we've seen it. You know, Ireland fans remember it's happened before to them, and it's happened to really every, every nation, I suppose, at some World Cup. But yes, and like that was a great game. France laid down a marker, and it looks like they'll top the pool now, with no disrespect intended to Italy. But for New Zealand, there was an awful lot of question marks I suppose they won like they've won four rugby championships in a row but they've only won one of their last I think it's six games against Ireland or France they drew with England last time they played them you know they limped past Scotland and Murrayfield very recently so there is an awful lot of question marks there and do you think they are 
do, do you still see them getting through a quarterfinal and then potentially getting to a final or do you think they're behind Ireland and South Africa? Well, I'm not sure. Obviously, recent form would suggest what you've just said, that they'd slip up to an Ireland or a South Africa in a quarterfinal. But I don't want to rule out the All Blacks just yet. I know form is a little bit hit and miss, but but like we saw at the start of the Rugby Championship where they beat the Springboks, was it 35-17 or something like that? And they, they blitzed them in the opening 10, 20 minutes and the Springboks couldn't come back from that. Uh, one thing on France, there's a rumour that John, Jonathan Dante might be back for the Uruguay game. Which uh, and Solange, apparently. A big boost for them. Uh, but back back to New Zealand, um, you know, there's, there's still some really top-class players there. I thought Rico Iwani had a good game Friday night. Obviously, he set up the... Uh, he made the break for the first try and then set up the second try with the uh, the looping pass to Talea, who was also another standout. And I thought, I thought Bowden Barrett had another a solid game at fullback. Um, all right, they didn't end up in the winning side, of course, but but you know those three all played particularly well. And but they got a couple of injuries up front. Obviously, we they lost Sam Kane right before kickoff, which could have been a bit of a blow. There's a bit of a rejig there as they put Tuba Vai, who's only played one or two games at blindside flanker. They put him at six for a, a World Cup game against France. That's it's a little bit, a uh, little bit tricky, and obviously Dalton Papali moved over to seven, which is a bit more of his preferred position. But, but like, but you know, never ever rule out the All Blacks just in case that comes back to bite you where you don't want it. That's that's the other side of it as well, and like they did have some good performances. Mark Talia was probably the standout one, not just because of his size, but he always looks like he's going to do something. He has this upper body strength in a winger even though he's not the biggest that he just looks like he can shake you off and there is certainly multiple pieces of the puzzle there that if New Zealand do click maybe maybe you know maybe they will kick on and find another gear well, I suppose the other side of it is now they're kind of in a lose-lose situation the whole way until that second week of October because if they hammer Italy or limp past Italy we're going to have the exact same conversation you know, except it's going to be well. We can't take Anthem from it if they if they hammer them, and they're a fallen giant if they only scrape past them. So there's, they are in that kind of catch twenty two situation. And just finally, Craig, like on that pool and France, New Zealand, like the, we knew this would be a great game. We it lived up to the billing and everything. But I I just want to talk about that that kind of. The French side in particular, I know we touched about them all already, but if they go into a World Cup quarterfinal, potentially against Ireland <clears throat> or South Africa, and they're in a situation where, you know, they're relying on the likes of Jalibert as opposed to Entomac who's injured. They're relying on Wokey and Flamon as opposed to um, Villemsa. Obviously, if they get Dante back, it's a different situation. He's a, He is a better player for what they want to do than... Mofana, would you have as much confidence in France, even even without these players, because their next man up does seem to work, but at the same time, they are not, they're not unfathomable either, I suppose. Yeah, I think I think where where you might find France tripping up, a you know their depth now has been stretched because they're you know they can't just bring in, um, Ajaliver. They don't have another one to come up, you know. And into Mac, they've got into Mac. Jalabert, we all kind of went, 
Mm, he's not really at the at the level as that um, Intermac is, but he still proved his worth on the weekend. But there's there's no one I really think that would come in and and give that level of service. Um, uh, so there's that, but also I think frustration with France. Um, if if they if they come up against a South Africa who who as you as we saw on the weekend smother you. I think that's where the where the frustration comes out in France, and then the stupid things come in, and that's when the elbow to a head or a um, you know or um, the the passes stop going to hand, and and I think that's that's the only concern that I would have for France. But I, you know, as a as a, as a World Cup romantic, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them go as far as they possibly go, and, and I, I hope they get to the final, and I hope I hope they win it. I think it'll be fabulous, unless Scotland are going to. Reclaim it and get back into the oven. And uh, if you've ever listened to the podcast I'm on, and uh, you know we've managed to work out a way of how we're going to get uh, Scotland to the the World Cup final. So, um, but yeah, I think it's um, I I think uh, it'll be an interesting one, and uh, I'm looking forward to it very much. And unfortunately, Craig, you're after Sully and the good work of BBC's Tom English, who says Scotland fans do not get ahead of themselves. <laughs> Apparently, you do. <laughs> Um, we will move on to Marseille next though because like I I I understand Greg it might be hard for for you to stand up here and say it was a great game of rugby but for, for all the different moving parts that were involved with the physicality the kicking game how South Africa or how Scotland's attacked attacked South Africa I found it to be a great game myself and eventually the reigning champions come out 18-3 victors the other side of it is like Scotland, someone said they needed to win this game, given, you know, their recent record against Ireland, and just so it doesn't come down to that last game against Ireland, which it now will. But instead, they were shut out to just three points for the second time in the World Cup in a row, that in their opening game, they, you know, got essentially hockeyed. I know it was different. There was more of a, a smothering effect, as, as the word we've used already. But this must be disappointing for, for Scotland fans to to start throwing one like this. I, I think it's one of those things. We, we were very, um, we're very, if we win, it's fantastic. If we lose, well, we're expecting it. So um, it, it's, it's been one of those odd games. Um, definitely first half, we we had the South Africans on, you know, we're, we're working with them and we're looking at the game is looking far, far Far, far more equal. Um, I think obviously uh, the the one break we really had, um, Darcy unfortunately decided that um, he wasn't going to pass the ball on, um, and unfortunately we, you know we had a we had a what I think we had a three on one or a three on two, um, and as everyone knows and 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 if they ever go to the rugby training that's what we train for three three on twos and three on ones and. Two on ones, you you should be able to get past that. So if he'd actually put the pass in, and we have been guilty of that, especially in the Stuart Hogg era of not passing the ball when we need to. Um, however, some nice play came out when we, when we, um, uh, when Finn Russell got the opportunity to do so. Um, and my disappointment is more not the score because obviously Steph Detroit did exactly what we expected him to do and crash over for the first try. Um, and then probably the the kick off the game that 
it gave Livock the 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 player of the match, which um I, w- I think we're all surprised at, um just because he wasn't looking where he was kicking when it went, um you know uh put um RNC over and 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 the game was won as such. I think I'm more frustrated with a couple of things. Obviously, we didn't see very much of um of Tuipulotu and. Uh, uh, and Hugh Jones, I think that's probably because uh, South Africa were incredibly good in their defence. Um, they smothered Scotland. They, they 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 targeted Finn Russell on a regular basis. And when we when people are you know when we're looking at one of the highest play, paid players in the world playing at ten, of course he's going to be man marked, and of course he's going to be the person that everyone's going to go for. I would I would, I would coach against them if you know what I mean. Yeah. And then the second thing was our line out, and um, you know people have always have said that Scotland's line out is poor. It's not poor. We have some fantastic players in our line out. Unfortunately, it goes awry at times, um, and unfortunately, when it goes awry, it's the wrong time. Um, so I think if we, I think if a well, especially one line out. I think if I remember correctly, if it had gone the way it should have gone, we probably could have pulled a score back. So it's it's disappointing. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll have to see how we go now. You mentioned a point there about um, Russell, Tuipulotu, and Jones that midfield axis, and I, I might get Yeston's thoughts on this in a minute. But just from an Irish point of view, that is where Ireland shut them down in Murrayfield this year. They kind of basically said, "Right, Finn, you don't really have an option here. You know, we're just going to sit off. You know, yeah, they can run hard at us, but we we kind of." What Ireland did was negate that midfield and then say, right, what are you going to do now? Mm. And it made it an awful lot easier. Scotland had very few line breaks. I don't think they had a single line break in like the last hour of rugby in Murrayfield against Ireland that day. And it felt similar at times that unless like Scotland would all out to target Creel, but it just feels like if you can slow down Tui Pilato and Jones, if you can get to them, that Scotland's attack, as as many good parts are in it, just doesn't look as sharp. Well, yes, and 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 that's that's the worrying thing um, for me as a as a fan and and uh, and as a coach as well. Because if you look at it, and and again, we'll go back to the Ireland game in the Six Nations. You know, we we you ended up having um, uh, a back row forward throwing the ball in at a line out. Vanderfleer, yeah, yeah, Vanderfleer, and we didn't say, okay, what we're going to do now is we're going to throw the ball to the front jumper. And just get secure ball, safe ball, and we did the same against South Africa. We kept throwing the ball to the back. Now the back, it, it was some of the, th- the throws and some of the the um, line at work was was absolutely fantastic. But on the other side of things, they've got, <laughs> got Archie Snyman who can he's about sixteen feet tall. You know, trying to get that ball over the top of him is just a difficult thing. Why not just stick it to the front and keep it safe? Um, and also. Playing on that as well. If 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 um Tupolotu and Hugh Jones aren't receiving aren't getting the ball that they're, they're that they're hoping for and they're being shut down, where's Darcy? Why is Darcy not coming in off the wing and taking an inside ball? Why are we not changing it up? And and these are the little things that that I would have expected the players to do. Um, because if if this isn't working, turn it around and move on. But it seems to be very much a we are we're setting our ways. This is what we're going to do. It's all going through Finn and it's all going wide. Well, there's another side. 
you know, there's a there's a blind side rather than, than an open side, you know? Yeah, no, that's a very good summation as well, like, because we expect Scotland's attack to just be incredible, but there is a means to it that is similar. They do like to go wide, wide. They do like to have, say, Kinghorn in that swing option of 15. They like to have Jones and Tui Pilato almost running the same line and making defenders choose or, you know, Finn throwing those flat passes. He had won in the first half that didn't go to hand. I think it was to, could have been Jack Dempsey. Just mm. wonderful. And Finn has those moments. But when you shut down those options, it doesn't matter who's playing out half. If they have no one to pass to, they're not going to be getting anywhere. And that's yeah. one of the things. Yeah, yeah, bang on. And and sorry, I'm taking more time up here, but I, I, I just it's one of those situations where you've got you've got if you give Scotland time, they're a handful. If you it's like Fiji. Um Wales didn't give Fiji as much. There were some times that they gave them the the defense became a little bit poor. But if you give Fiji enough time, they can throw the ball around and absolutely tie in knots. But if you if you back them down and smother them a little bit, they struggle. And it's the same Scotland. Scotland, if you you give Blair Kinghorn time, he's going to come in quick and he's going to take a, a flat pass or he's going to kick the ball over the top. But unfortunately, he didn't get the opportunity to do that. Yeah, that's that's the thing. And this is kind of what. You know, I I don't want to say this could be Scotland's downfall, but every team has is only as good as you know their weakest parts in Scotland. Yes, then they're not the most physical team. You know, we knew that there was always going to be a tough battle for them to maybe not just necessarily front up, but they had to get the set piece right against South Africa, which they did for a while. They had to get their breakdown work right. They had to attack, especially that blitz defense. They had to do it properly, and. I suppose, accurately. And a lot of people are saying, okay, well, that's just the South Africa that we know. They're powerful. They're strong. They smother teams. They did. But at the same time, you look at them now to compare to the Lions Test Series in 2021. They're a very different team. They're an on-ball team. You know, Russ Petty had the stat here that I was just getting up. Their average metres per game in 2021 was 289. This year, it's three hundred. It's 532. They have become an on-ball team with lots of different options. I think having Aronsa and Colby and whoever they choose a fullback now in attack is is going to do well. They are, it feels like, trending in the right direction. I understand it's it's only a two-month tournament. There isn't that much time. But they're, it certainly feels like South Africa are moving in the right direction. And they're not what we paint them to be in in its entirety. Yeah, and and... And and like you say, you know, up front, you had um, Mozart and Etzebeth starting as your locks. And then if Etzebeth had a little bit of a, a bit of an injury, so they, they took him off as a precaution, and on comes Adi Simon, who was, uh, who, who was a bit of a, of a bit of a big lump and a very solid set-piece uh, operator. And I think Jim Hamilton on the ITV said, oh, no, when the camera panned towards Simon as he was ready to come on. But one thing about the Scottish attack... When when the Springboks defend, they you normally see either the wing or the outside centre shoot out the line to stop at a source. That's where that's where I think Scotland went a little bit wrong on the weekend. I think they should have tried to hit it up. All right, Damien Delende is a bit big, but maybe hit it up at the the ten twelve channel, and then maybe use the second phase to either go back blind or to to push it out wide, where where maybe South Africa might be a little bit slow folding round. Around, around, around the defensive line, and but but every time you watch Africa, it's either a winger. I think Jesse Creel did it a couple of times 
uh, yesterday. They're just shooting out the line and just stopping stopping anyone who's got the ball to pass them to the outside. And and obviously Scotland are going to struggle with that. They they did it once when Russell threw that pass to to Dempsey or Hugh Jones, which didn't go to hand. They exploited it then, but they couldn't find a way to to break through it for the for the remainder of the game. And and like you said, you know the Springboks are a bit of a different side to what we saw a few years ago when they won the World Cup. But it just shows, you know, kicking is so important in modern day rugby. Now now this year we've got the most the side that kick the most are France. And if you go up with someone in the street or you know, whatever whatever, you someone says, Oh, France are the best attacking rug attacking side in the world. And I think Eddie Jones brought this up last week, you know, that everyone says, Oh, France are, are brilliant in attack and they can run it from anywhere. But it's their kicking game that allows them to do that. You know, you've got the likes of DuPont Used to be in Tamak, but now Jali Bears kind of slotted in that role. Thomas Ramos at fullback has probably had his most consistent year, and 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 France kicked about forty odd times on on Friday night, and but that's how they get their attack going. The the Jaminate try at the end, um, from the replacement fullback that that comes from a box kick, from from Luku, and but it shows how important. That the the tactical kicking is within this World Cup, and whoever kicks the best will win because they'll get more chances and more mistakes from the opposition in the air, and there'll be opportunities for them to to attack. One hundred percent, and it's 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 funny. Like no matter how many conversations we have, you can always boil rugby down to the same conversations. You know, kicking is so important. If you don't win the kick battle, you are to hide into nothing. No scrum, no win is what the French always say. Well, that's pretty true as well you know um you even look at like it's more of a sporting trope than a rugby one but you know you have to win the midfield you look at this this game in particular you know Libok against Russell okay fair enough I don't think Libok was brilliant I don't think Russell was was bad I think he just got shut down South Africa won that midfield battle you know of the of the four centers hands down I thought Dale Ende was in my opinion the man the match and like these things are important South Africa are winning these small battles and we'll talk about them ad nauseum, you know, for the next couple of weeks because Ireland played them in two weeks' time. But certainly it feels like they're they're a team going in the right direction. And another team, I suppose, who who weren't expected to go in the right direction that we'll move on to now is Jamie Joseph's Japan. Like they had a bit of a thrown together performance, I think it's fair to say, but it was still enough to to rain on Chile's vibrant debut in the World Cup in, in Toulouse. And yes, and I'll start with you. This was a I, I don't want to offend people, but a hipster's choice of game for people on, on Sunday at 12 o'clock, but it it delivered for a good while and then, you know, Japan pulled away. But what do you make of it? Yeah, it was quite a nice starter to the free course meal that we all had on, on Sunday with all the rugby. Obviously, you had the uh, the Japan-Chile game then, but then the Scotland-Africa game and then a, a chaotic ending with, with Wales-Fiji. But, um, you know, it was a brilliant start for Chile. Um Rodrigo Fernandez getting their first try at a Rugby World Cup, which is brilliant to see. I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, Fernandez myself, and he's he's a terrific player. But uh, then obviously Japan re- responded quite quickly with the uh, Fakatava, the big second row, crashing over. And there's a bit of a, a defensive lapse by um, Gareth Hewlett, the inside centre. And then Japan kind of just played to their strengths. It wasn't it wasn't the Japan that we know from four years ago where they would be 
where where they you know showed attacking intent against Scotland, where they where that game was was another brilliant game, where they where they were scoring from scoring and creating stuff from everywhere and just and scoring some brilliant tries. But it was a bit more bit more tight that I I thought from Japan. Um, I think Jamie Joseph would be very happy with that after a bit of a tricky spell to the start of the year when they lost to Samoa and obviously Michael Leach got himself a red card. He, I thought he was very good. He looked like a man that was out playing back, playing back for his shirt, and and you know, kind of saying sorry to his supporters about that red card by putting in a really good performance and getting a try for himself. But yeah, it was it was a bit it was quite entertaining. I thought Chile played well in, in aspects. Obviously, they, I I don't think many expected them to keep it up for the full eighty minutes, but they gave a really good account of themselves, which is brilliant to see. Craig, you you tuned into this one as well. Like personally, I I only got to see the first ten minutes or so after the after the first Japan try. Certainly, the sense from a lot of people is Japan. You know, were okay. Eventually, pulled clear. Chile made a good account for themselves, and in a pool where we don't really know how good a lot of these teams are, there's probably scope for them to. Maybe spring a one eighty million performance that at least rattles someone, is there? Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think and it, and it showed with with how Japan handled them. Um, you know, we're talking about um, Japan. Not you know, if you take Japan from two thousand nineteen, they would have absolutely scored everything against them. They would have, it would have been an Ireland Romania score. So I think Japan gave them the respect that that that. that uh, they deserve, um, and I think they they tried to play more of a um, set piece game and then use the ball, um, and that's I guess why we didn't we didn't see so many tries, um, but obviously Chile's um, fitness and game management eventually led to them losing um, you know losing the game to the points that they did, that were scored against them. So I, I I'm excited by them, and I think everyone. Seems to be. I think um, it's another team that's coming through that we're that everyone seems excited. Same with Portugal, and, and and it's it's going to be an interesting. You know, these are the sort of matches that you tune into because you want to see what's happening because you're kind of not that not that we're bored with the with all the usuals, but you you get to that point where you think right, well, you know, we're going to see lots of kicking with with England. We're going to. We're going to see Scotland try their best to fail. We're going to, you know, all these different things. So you want to go and try and watch these other matches that you think you're going to get almost more pure rugby. And and sometimes it it, it comes that way, you know. That's it. And like, it's important to note as well that this is a Japanese team who were in a World Cup quarterfinal four years ago. They've probably taken backward steps, some of it not of their own accord, you know, with the Sunwolves. Being thrown to the wolves, if, if you'll pardon the pawn, but like Japan are 14th in the world and Chile are 22nd, but yet it still feels like you, you know what, there's there is a bit of competition there in, in the tier two countries, which is good to see. And I think that's a, a major talking point from this World Cup or coming into it that we could probably see a World Cup where an awful lot of tier two teams, you know, five or six of them really put their hand up and say, you know, we're, we're getting somewhere, we're going places, and hopefully. Chile are, are one of them they, they're in that pool of course with, with England, with Argentina that Argentina game could be fiery to say the least, especially considering Argentina showed none of their typical fire at, at the weekend so that one could mm-hmm. be really interesting and Japan play England then at the weekend, 
feels like England will just bully them into submission, but still you can't you can't write it off. You know, you can't you can't write anyone off. And this the same goes for I suppose Italy, who will will move on to now, lads, and like they they beat Namibia. And usually you'd you say, Okay, there's nothing to talk about here, but like fifty two points to eight, okay, one sided, fair enough. But Maybe it was just me, but I thought maybe I gave a really good account of themselves. You know, for for large passages, it felt like, like, until say a dog who came off the bench and it started to use the subs that maybe it just ran out of legs. They just didn't have the quality beyond that first fifteen. But to their credit, I think they were they lived they lived with Italy for large passages. Like it was only what was a nine point game at half time. That's that's still really good. I thought. Dogwoo in particular was was good off the bench, but I thought Tommy Allen, 8 from 8 in terms of the kick and tee. Lorenzo Canone, who I'm a big fan of, he was man of the match, scored the first try. The Benderson back rower. Um, Italy probably won't spring a surprise in this World Cup. They probably have to deal with the Uruguay game. That's the big one to make sure they are automatically qualified for 2027 to make sure they don't get caught in the hop. But Craig, I suppose for... For Italy, an awful lot to talk beforehand was okay. Kieran Crowley's leaving; they're probably going to take a backward step. But there is something very exciting about seeing an awful lot of young players: Gerbisi, Canone, Capozzo, putting their hands up. Brex was really good, and being the standout players. Yes, it's Namibia, but it is still a World Cup setting for an awful lot of them. Their first World Cup game. Yeah, um, we have arguments on our, on on the Scottish Rugby podcast about about this on a regular basis um, because I always say we need to give Italy more um, more thought than we do because everyone thinks Italy are just, you know, they they were always the laughing stock or the, or the wooden spoon guys from the, from the Six Nations, but they have built and built and built. Um, all started with, um, oh, these names just go right out of my head, but the, the, the ex Harlequins head coach who went over, yeah, Conor Shea. Um, you know he, he's 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 built up, he's he's put the foundations in place. Benetton are becoming stronger and stronger. I think Zebri is now there's now starting to work on Zebri as well, which I think who well they've got nothing but but to go upwards instead. Of, you know they're, they're they're at the lowest ebb at the moment, but you have these players coming through. Um, Franco Smith um, started the work with them. Um, Quite happily put in Garbisi when when everyone said, "What are you putting this young ten in there? There's no chance he's going to cause problems." All of a sudden, he's he's almost as mercurial as as Finn Russell. You know, everyone's talking about this 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 fantastic player, and he is, and he's proven himself. And then you see these young players coming through. Okay, Paolo Dogu isn't a young player, um, but he has he has used the rules the right way, and he's he's hopefully going to get a a second lease of life. And and to, and a Scotsman talking about Tommy Allen, you know, there's a a Scottish under twenty who we missed, we absolutely missed the boat with that guy. And people see that there's a lot of detractors out there about Tommy Allen, but if you watch them play for Harlequins over the last wee while, he has slowly but surely got rid of those. He's squared off those those corners, and and he's making them. He's making the job. Uh, of playing at ten, look far easier than it used to be for him, um, and I, I I really do like him. No, it's he's 
excuse me. Tommy Adams is good. He's a good ten. Garbisi mm. has the potential to be one of Italy's great tens, but as well as that, that double playmaker option that they're using with Allen at fifteen seems to be really working. Now, mm. Allen has had defensive lapses at fifteen in 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 previous games, but against Namibia that was never going to be the issue. But it's certainly a sign of the direction they're going in. There is a clear sign of of things, and I suppose yes. And just to just to finish off. Like we'd all love to see Italy competitive, but you look at the age profile of that team, it will be another few years before we see this team in, in full flux. But still, it's it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they could, you know, beat Uruguay by a convincing enough margin that we all kind of have to take notice and then go into those French New Zealand games on an absolute high. Yeah, and we saw in 2021 when Italy played New Zealand, you know, New Zealand didn't score a try until well past the 20th minute, which a few years ago would have been a quite a, a long day for the Italians. But, but it just shows how good that the youth system they've they've installed, thanks to Conor O'Shea, has been. You know, you've got Garbisi, who's playing in the top 14 every week, and Montpellier are a good side. You've got Tommy Allen, obviously, he's a little bit older than, than the younger players that are coming through. Breeze at Harlequin, Stinja Fuschetti, he was an London Irish before they... They went best. Uh, so the, the the younger players that are coming through, they they're getting game time in the OAC with Benetton and Zebra. Zebra have got a side which is filled with youngsters. Even in the front row, they're giving twenty two or twenty three year olds chances to start in in big games against experienced URC players, which is only going to do them good. And and then once once they develop a bit, all right, okay, some of the bigger clubs might swoop in for a couple of players like we've seen with, with Garbisi, obviously Mopelli. I've got a little bit more money than Benetton, unfortunately, but but it's it's a it's a brilliant development ground for them, and and we can we can see that for the weekend, and they've probably got one of the youngest um, squads in the entire tournament. I think I read somewhere, or it might not be the youngest, but somewhere near the younger younger side of the of the, of the out of all the teams, and and you know it's, it might not be this World Cup, but it could easily be the next World Cup when. All those players have got four more years of international rugby under their belt, and they could be a real good side by then. Absolutely, and that's what World Cups are about in other sports as well. The chance you you can look at these teams, you're like, well, I'd love to see them back here in a few years' time and and doing well and improving. And you know, say Japan were one of those teams in 2019. Obviously, they were hosts. Uruguay maybe not so much this time, but you know, COVID and these things can can impact you know our familiarity with a team like that but it's it, it promises to be a, a good clash between themselves and and the Uruguayans in in two weeks time but lads we'll leave it at that just finally before I hand it over to my conversation with Ben about England and about Australia just overall thoughts on, on the weekend gone by it it was made for a good start no doubt about it but also at the same time no massive surprises and I suppose Craig it's it's maybe not as finely poised as we'd have liked. Maybe if a couple of shocks would have been nice, you know, maybe Fiji winning or Argentina winning or Scotland winning. But certainly you get the sense of this for the on-field action alone, because there's plenty of talk about anthems and high tackles and so on and so forth. But for the on-field stuff, it's been, it's been really good so far. Yeah. I think, I think what we have to remember is, um, and, you know, there's a positive and negative for me. Um, you know, we talked about it just before we came on here, and 
Um, you know, the refereeing has been almost how can I it's mind boggling at times, and and I find the refereeing has been disappointing. Um, but on the other side of things, some of the touches from players, some of the the skill that we've seen on display from every country that's played, you know, and I'm not, you know, every country has shown something, and it's been, uh, you know, a, a real um, uh, exciting um, start to the weekend. Um, I just feel, and and you have to be proud of me that I didn't um, start. I didn't mention the referee decision in the Scotland review um, because, you know, I'm, I'm always one for playing the whistle. You just play the whistle and that you play the referee and that's the way it is. But this, we world rugby need to get themselves sorted out because the, unfortunately the, it's the, the refereeing has been, in my opinion, fairly poor for the first weekend. Hopefully it will get better. Well, we, we do hope for that 100%. And I suppose that, then this this part of the pod on a lighter note, yes, and probably no real marquee fixtures next week. Probably Australia, Fiji is the big one, but we do get a chance to see Portugal, to see Tonga, to see Samoa for the first time, and to see Uruguay for the first time. Portugal are probably the one that everyone can't wait to see because they're for those who have watched them, they really play an expansive brand of rugby. They take on your nation of Wales, probably a few teams there you know Tonga could really lay down a marker Samoa might feel like they have to now considering you know England look better than we expect and Argentina look much worse so I suppose next weekend maybe not marquee games but a lot to a lot to be excited for as well at the same time yeah you know this is why I myself watch watch a World Cup isn't you know we all we all know of the big teams you know the likes of France Africa New Zealand there's it's a chance to see the real tier two nations on a on a on a global stage, you know. Unfortunately, world rugby are kind of not really showing their the tier two sides, uh, in real competitiveness. I remember a few years ago where there'd be tier two games being live streamed on on YouTube or even televised somewhere. Unfortunately, we don't get that now, which is a real shame. And I hope world rugby bring that back sooner rather than later. But but the World Cup is is you know it's a showcasing event for for the tier two sides as well because. You know, if we look at, at the Chile side this weekend, you know, we've got Toreba, the scrum half, who I thought was, was really good. The hooker, Diego Escobar, was another good player. Um, uh, And obviously, we're going to see newer sides this week. Portugal, obviously, going to be fun to watch. We know what Samoa can offer after they give Ireland a little bit of a scare in the warm-ups. And Tonga's side is filled with plenty of players. And Santiago Arata plays for Uruguay. So what more do you want? <laughs> Absolutely. One of the few men who's taken Antoine Dupont looked at him and said, you know what, I can play just as well as you in a in a top 14 or, or European Champions Cup game. But <laughs> it's it's been a weekend full of, of headlines. You know, considering what has happened today, Monday, we hope that this podcast isn't struck down by GMCA um, regulations with the way World Rugby are going. But... Again, as I've said, with so many different things, we could have hours of conversations about what rugby is doing wrong. But for these eight weeks, hopefully, touch wood multiple times, we can focus on the good stuff. Thanks very much to yourself, Yestin, and to Craig. And for those uh, listening, we will talk about England's win over Argentina and Australia's win over Georgia with Ben coming up now. But once again, thanks to the two lads. Thanks.
So Ben Nurse joins us now to talk about England after they opened their account with a 27-10 win over a massively underwhelming Argentina. George Ford, who was player of the match on the night, kicked six penalties and three drop goals for the win. So Ben, welcome on. But uh, what was your thoughts on this game? It was tore a lot of people in terms of whether they enjoyed it or not, but a win is a win, I suppose. Yeah, I get the feeling a lot of non-England fans didn't enjoy the game. It was a bit underwhelming, but I know I speak for all the England fans when I say it was edge-of-the-seat stuff, like really exciting. It was encouraging for the the lack of attacking intent in terms of try scoring. It was really encouraging. I guess that's a sign of how low the standard is, for, how low the bar is for us recently. But I, didn't, I wasn't expecting to beat Argentina, so to beat them by... 17 points is incredible. And that's the other side of it. You know, well, England were bookies' favourites, as as I understand it, but most people were tipping Argentina thinking, you know, they'll kick on from their rugby championship where they seemed to grow as the tournament went on, but they really didn't. And it was, you mentioned attack, it was a day where England didn't show a lot. You know, George Ford only passed the ball about 10 times. It was a 10-man game, but it got the job done. And I think... That's probably the most important part, especially when you're in a group with Samoa and Japan, that it felt like just win this game and it could well be top of the pool. Yeah, that's what it is, 100%. Most of the time at World Cups, when it comes to the group stage, it's just get out, whether it's topping the group or coming second, it's just get out of the group. Because at the end of the day, if you're facing likely after the, the game to the weekend, Wales or Australia in the quarterfinal, there's not really an easier or a harder game there. So now we've beaten Argentina, it can be a lot more comfortable because it's one step in the quarterfinal, whoever we're playing. Absolutely. And then, you know, George Ford's selection was one that people called for before the World Cup and before Owen Farrell's suspension. Owen Farrell will be back during the pool stages and there will probably be calls for him to come back in, maybe at 12 or some people will say at 10. In terms of the direction that are going forward, looks perfect. Player of the match in the night, three drop goals, which you could take that any way you want. But of your own opinion, Ben, do you think do you think Ford is the man for England right now with with the style of rugby they're playing? At a ten, a hundred percent. I assumed before the tournament it would be Ford and Farrell outside him at twelve, and probably to Alangi at thirteen. It's a big headache whether Farrell comes straight back into the team after he's missed a couple of games. I think he will. He was captain before before he got banned. I think he will come into the team. But especially after that performance, you can't drop George Ford. And there was a lot of people mentioning how it was um it's Ford's first game for England for however long, maybe ever, without Youngs and, and Farrell as well outside him. So just the fact that he can control the game on his own, call the shots like he did at Leicester for a while. It's massive, but and you've seen the result of it is that uh, when he's leading a team, leading an attack, you, you really get good results from it. And it seems like something he thrived in being the guy as opposed to being just one important piece of of the puzzle. And England play Japan next, and I suppose this game was it had the red card and yellow card instance, and it had the drop goals, but. As as we said, it's more important as to how England kick on from this now. And they had the they have the four points in the bag, four points to zero as well. You know, Argentina didn't get out and out of it. And now England play Japan next um 
next Sunday night, eight o'clock. And Japan aren't the team they were. Yes, they were convincing in the win over Chile, but for England, the Japan and Chile games, would you like to see them try and kick on and try something different? Or do they just try and build momentum by whatever means possible? It's going to be really interesting because all the games, we maybe the last 10 games we've played, we've not looked comfortable with try scoring and with attack. We've, we've edged games. Even Italy and the Six Nations didn't look entirely comfortable. So playing a team like Chile, respectfully, we should put four, five, six, maybe more tries on them. It's going to be interesting how we do that. And if we can't even do that, are we going to just go to the drop goal and just and just get the win even against against teams like Chile? Um, Japan, they did win convincingly in the end with uh, three tries right at the end. But for large periods, especially the first half, they looked really shell-shocked by Chile. So Japan, I think, is a game we should win. And I think Samoa will be a harder game. They've not played yet, but when they played Ireland in the warm-up, they look like a completely different team that's played at the last two World Cups. And they look like a stylistic nightmare for England in some ways in terms of they are kick-heavy with Sopawanga at 10, but he kicks very smartly. England probably live off of poor kicking. We've seen it in against Wales and the Six Nations. You know, Freddie Stewart had a field day because England just kicked, or apologies, Wales kicked so poorly. So that's probably the game that we'll come back to with the final round, the final weekend of action and, and judge England off of. But to get this result is huge. We do imagine they'll top the pool and play either Fiji, Australia or Wales, whoever comes second in their pool. And we'll move on to that pool now because you're going to talk us through Australia mm-hmm. against Georgia. Australia 35-15 victors in Paris with two tries from player of the match, Ben Donaldson. Um. Ben, what do you think this was Australia laying down a marker under Eddie Jones? Do you think it's possibly starting to click, or were you disappointed in Georgia? Mm, definitely a bit of both. I think you were talking about matchups with Samoa and England. I think it was a horrible matchup for Georgia. Australia are a very kick-heavy team. They love to pin you in your own half, play the corners. That's justified the selection of Donaldson, who's played ten at fifteen. They just love to kick, and Georgia are a team who play similarly, and they just they did the same thing, but just worse. Australia were just better at everything they did. Um, Australia were always going to come into the World Cup as a different team that played in the Rugby Championship. Obviously, Eddie Jones loves to not show his hand, as, as you say it. So, Australia were always going to be a lot better team than, than the one that lost to South Africa and New Zealand, but I was still surprised at how well they did play in the backs and the forwards. They just dominated Georgia, who Georgia didn't really turn up at all. A lot of the stars they had, which we thought would shine, uh, Nini Ashville, Lobzinidze, they just weren't really so quiet. It appears to be an, an issue with the line there, but the point got across about Georgia, like it is probably not their best performance and maybe we'll see them do better against Fiji or against Wales, possibly pull off a scalp. But I suppose a lot of the question marks around Australia and around Eddie Jones was timing. Had he enough time? Could he get the job done? It appears from reports recently that, you know, the reason he went for someone like Skelton as captain is because Skelton will just get the team on the coach's side. He's very much a, I'll do what the coach tells me and that'll be my job. And then, you know, as opposed to maybe a Cooper, a Michael Hooper, someone like that. So 
with with that in mind, would I suppose asking an English person have they faith in Eddie Jones is a bit of an odd question at the best of times. But would you have faith in him dragging them out of the pool stages and potentially coming in onto the radar? Yeah, hundred percent. Fiji's not a, an easy game by any means, but all they have to do now is 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 beat one of of Wales or Fiji. So uh, and that will get them into the quarterfinals, and then that they'll face likely either us or maybe Argentina, maybe Samoa, and any of those games are winnable for Australia. So it's a it's a it's a semi easy run into the semi finals. So uh, if I was Australian, I'd have a lot of faith in Eddie Jones. But then it's just one game. Like they they could they could very easily lose to Wales and Fiji as well. That's it. And I I, I said before the tournament, I think Wales is the beat them and I thought Fiji might beat Wales and it would kind of be that kind of three-way head-to-head as to how it would go but you you do feel like now it is Australia and Wales's advantage the fact that Fiji didn't get that win over Australia there's a lot of pressure on them now a lot of expectation that they have to get a result of some sort the very least and even at that to say that they have to you know they basically have to win to have any chance and I suppose just just to to wrap things up, you know, very entertaining final weekend. The Wales game, which we'll have talked about previously with with Yeston and Craig, we had you know the the thrilling opening weekend. It has been a great start to this World Cup. I suppose been in terms of of standouts, and I'll ask this of the lads as well. And in, in the first half of the pod. What what was your main takeaways from the weekend as a whole? As and bearing in mind, we can't read too much into it. Yeah, Wales, one hundred percent. I think um, a lot of people said they weren't favourites against Fiji. I think for large periods, they looked like the team that that Gatland had playing so well in other World Cups in Six Nations. I think <laughs> you don't want to say it too early on, but they they might have revived themselves from a position that looked unrevivable and they might actually make a run to the semi-finals based on that performance against a really good Fiji team. And France as well lost some key players. They lost Untermach and they lost Marchand early on. And the way their replacements played, Malvaka and Jalabert were two of their best players and just shows the depth they've got there and how they can just replace these world-class players so easily. So I'd, I'd still have... France is my favourites to win the World Cup, especially based on on that performance Friday night. It's it's certainly wide open, and then you know you look at how France went about their business. They were nervy, but they kicked on. Still, never got out of third gear. Ireland took on a weak opposition, but really took them to the sword. You look at South Africa and how they turned over Scotland. You know, like there was a lot of talking points and and great moments and all that, and probably too much talking points on stuff that don't really matter, you know, in terms of cards, referee performances, all that, but certainly a thrilling, a thrilling start. And just finally, before you go, I haven't had you on before, but I, I like to ask everyone this, you you think France are going to do it? If it's not France, which way would you, would you lean? I, I, I'd probably go South Africa based on the weekend. I, I thought it'd be a New Zealand, France final, but, Lot for a long period to that second half, New Zealand just looked out of the game, out of ideas. So, I think based on the weekend, I'd say South Africa looked incredibly strong. They they 
brushed aside a really good Scotland team without really looking like they were they were trying too hard, without really looking like they got out of fifth gear. So I, I think France or South Africa. It promises to be, well, I suppose we say it wide open, but yet everyone seems to have narrowed down to three teams. But still, it's it it's there. It's it's ready for for taking, and you know maybe another injury for France, and it becomes too much. Maybe South Africa get toppled by Ireland, or you know Ireland get toppled by South Africa and Scotland. You don't know which way it's going to go. But Ben, thanks very much for joining me, and of course the two lads earlier on for joining me as well. I'll be back in midweek with an article, a very special article, actually, looking at Ireland's squad selection, team selection, before we run it back with a preview and recap of Ireland's clash with Tonga. As always, thanks so much everyone for listening. If you do like what you see or hear, please do subscribe. And you'll find the links for my social media platforms, as well as all of our guest Twitter pages down below. But for now, and until next time, take it easy. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.